Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Verse number three, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he said that uh, he was going to, uh, he had, his intention was to exhort them about one thing, but uh, he said that I found it necessary to exhort you to contend earnestly for the face, faith. In other words, to give a, rig, a rigorous and passionate defense for the faith, that is the, the body of truth that we believe as Christians. And he said, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, now, this has, this, he was speaking specifically about the message of salvation and men had crept in the church unnoticed uh, who turned the grace of God into something else. In other words, they twisted the truth. Well, concerning every Bible truth, there are always people who will infiltrate the church and to try to twist and, and pervert the truth, true message of, of, of God, amen? Now we read over in, in 1 Peter chapter three, turn over there with me, 1 Peter chapter three, verse number 15, the apostle Peter, Peter is exhorting the church, he said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready, always be ready, always be ready, always be ready for what, a hurricane, no, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the hope that is in you, in other words, your Bible experience, your Christian experience, why you have the hope that you have in God, the faith you have in God, all of that would be included. In other words, what you believe, your testimony, and why uh, you're convinced that uh, your future is bright and that God has you in his hand and so forth. He says that we should always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us. Notice it doesn't say we should be ready to be defensive. It says we should be ready to give a defense to people who ask us. And we're living in a time right now where uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is is increasing more and more people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're in the uh, shallow waters, if you will, of a mighty revival of God that, and I'm telling you, when it breaks in its fullness, you'll look back to these days and think we weren't even, we weren't even in revival. We are, but in comparison to what will be, it's as if it hasn't even started yet, but it has started And one of the uh, uh, preeminent features of this revival is multitudes of people not only being born again, but coming into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the spirit-filled life in in, in everything that pertains to that spirit-filled life. Well, uh, people are going to have questions. Thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. People will have questions. And we're the answer people. 
We're the ones with the answer. The answers to their questions are not going to be written across the sky. They're going to come through us. He said, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. And so these teachings on Wednesday night, the reason I made the outlines available to you is that you need to, you need to know these things and be ready. In other words, seven reasons to pray in tongues. It's not that you need to memorize these seven reasons in order, but you should know every reason. And when people have a question, you, you need to be able to give them Bible uh, support for this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the experience of speaking with other tongues. Because it's not, it's not what people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people in the nominal church world uh, give uh, lip service, so to speak, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They speak about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in, in this, the genuine baptism of the Holy Spirit because uh, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they deny. They say, well, the speaking in tongues, that's not important, that's not for today, and so forth. And so the, the speaking with other tongues has been uh, strongly and overwhelmingly uh, dismissed by the modern church. Overwhelmingly, it's been dismissed, spoken against, criticized, and, and there are people who aren't even saved right now. They know very little about Christianity, but they've heard about that speaking in tongues and they just know it's weird, it's crazy, people that practice it are strange and it's off balance and people in the church have been taught that you know, I, I think I told you, you know, some time ago I was in a, in a, in a uh, place getting my hair cut one day and, and I went in and, and uh, there was, and, and I don't normally go there. I think the person who cut my hair wasn't available or something. Anyway, I'm in this place, never been there before. They didn't know who, uh, who I was. It was right here in High Springs. Went into a salon, you know, I want to get my hair cut. Bunch of ladies in there and they don't know who I am and, and, uh, and I didn't know any of them. And, and they were talking about somebody had gone to a Pentecostal church where they speak in tongues. And I mean, they were just all just talking about it. And, and, and the one lady's cutting somebody's hair. I'm, I was, she wasn't cutting my hair at the time. I was just sitting there. And, uh, and she said, uh, I don't know, that, that's speaking with other tongues. That just scares me. It just scares me. I, I just, it's just scary. And, and the other comments were similar to that. Yeah, that's strange. That's scary. It's weird. We don't know about that. It, it, nothing positive was said. So that's that's what people are that's what people are raised up with. They they don't know why they don't believe in it. They don't have any bible. You're the ones with the bible. You're the ones with the knowledge of the truth. They just need to have their their fears and their mis uh information and and uh, uh 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 mistaken concepts and all those ideas. They just need you to help them get beyond those things so they can receive from God. And so we've been talking about this and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, it's not just a Pentecostal doctrine. I'm not just presenting this, nor do I just want you to be armed uh, with this knowledge so that we can defend our Pentecostal traditions. You know, we're the Pentecostal church, you know, we're the spirit filled church and, and this is what we have and this is what we champion. And, and, and I just want you all to be able to, uh, defend our flag. You know, that's not, that's not why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is critical. It's absolutely critical 
for living the overcoming life and being effective as a Christian, it is absolutely critical. It is not uh, uh, what the word it's it's not optional. Many people would have you believe, well, it's just not that important. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent uh, 40 days with his disciples and, and, and just not the 12, but his followers and speaking to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, just before he went to the cross, he said, you know, that this is coming. And, and the comforter is going to come and he will guide you into all truth and so forth. You know, the 14th, 15th, 16th chapter of John. After he was raised from the dead, just before he went into heaven, he told his, his followers, now, here they are. They've, Jesus has been raised from the dead. They've seen him. So they've believed on him. They've confessed him as Lord. You know, even doubting Thomas, when he, when he saw the, the, the print in his nails, uh, the nails in his hands, he said, my Lord and my God. So they saw him. But Jesus said, you're going to take this gospel to throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, you're going to be the ones who who will spread this gospel. The only difference is the people you're going to reach won't see me. You all see me. You believe because you've seen me. And, And I've taken this time to teach you personally and you've seen me after I've, I was raised from the dead. You know I've been raised up because I've, I've, I've been among you and, and, and so forth. He said, but you're going out there to a world and you're going to present the gospel and, and, and preach uh, that people should believe on me and they'll not see me. They won't have what you have. Therefore, you need power in your life. He said, you must be filled with the spirit to get the job done. Isn't that right? He said, do not tarry, I mean, do not depart from Jerusalem, but tarry there, wait until you are clothed upon with power from on high. Now, uh, there is no indication from the scriptures that the disciples that were waiting there, there were about 120 people gathered for those 10 days uh, in, in the upper room and the Bible says that they, that they continued in, in, in prayer uh, and, and in one accord, in prayer and in supplication. Now, that doesn't mean they prayed all the time because they, they had business to transact. And for instance, they, they raised up uh, uh, the idea, you know, that Judas, you know, had denied the Lord. So he had to be replaced. So they had the business to take care of. Here's an interesting thing. I, I, just, I was just reflecting on this before church. I never even really thought about this until just before church tonight. Peter stood up and he said, now Judas, you know, he denied the Lord and he purchased the field, you know, with the, with the uh, wages of, of iniquity and so forth. You know that story. He said, now we need to have someone uh, take his place and take that office. That office was the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles of the Lamb stand in a class of apostles that no other apostles are in. Paul was not in that class, even though he was what is called a foundational apostle in that his words laid foundations for the New Testament. But he was not an eyewitness 
of, of the Lord. But Peter said, we need someone, of, he said, of all of these brethren who have accompanied us from the very beginning when John, when Jesus walked down into to the Jordan River and was baptized, from that point until he was raised from the dead, he said, we need to select somebody else who saw all of that to be eyewitnesses of his life and ministry. Those are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, Judas lost his place. So Peter said, we have to have somebody to replace him. So they gave them two names. One of the names was Matthias. Uh, and so the Bible, I never noticed this before, but it says that, that Peter, they, they brought these two people, they submitted these two names, these two people, and Peter stood up and he said, now, Lord, you know the hearts of all men, you know what's inside every man. So we need you to choose which of these two, which are these two, which of these two are the, are the, is the one that you've selected. And it said they cast their lots and their lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 12. Do you know that's the very last time in the Bible anybody cast lots? Casting lots was an Old Testament action. Casting lots was a way to determine the will of God by however it turned out. And I'm not, I I didn't go back, I know I've studied it before, but I didn't refresh my memory. I don't remember exactly how the lots were cast. But it was some type of a physical uh, uh, way of presenting something and, and, uh, you know, Casting, casting lots, and however it, we would we could acquaint it to a flipping of a coin, and you know heads it's Matthias and tail it's tails it's you know I think his his name was Judas too, and so it was one of those two, and it came up heads, and so Lord that that's you speaking to us, that's 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 not the way spirit filled people are, are are led by the Lord, that's not the way the Christian's supposed to be led uh, uh, by the Spirit, isn't that right? That's an Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they, they had, you know, the uh, 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 Thurman and, and uh, uh, huh? Yeah, human. Human and Thurman, is that right? I think that's right. And they, they had, and, they, and it was because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. Well, now these believers on the day on, on, in the upper room, they have the Holy Spirit in them but they're still relying on Old Testament means. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Matthias. But you know, after they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they never did that again. They never cast lots for anybody again. You go over to the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit said, now separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And, And so they learned to be led by the Spirit Being led by the Spirit is greatly enhanced by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that people who aren't filled with the Spirit, Christians who aren't filled with the Spirit, I'm not saying they can't be led of the Lord. They can be if they'll acquaint themselves with with the Holy Spirit within because he lives on the inside of every believer and he guides. Being led of the Spirit is not a... Uh, necessarily characteristic of being filled with the Spirit. Being led of the Spirit is a characteristic of being a child of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So being led of the, by the Spirit is, is, a, uh, is a privilege of being born again, being a child of God. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a tremendous assist. Yeah. 
Because again, they had been born of the Spirit, but they were still relying on natural means. And much of the church world today is still relying on natural means to get their leadings. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, like I said, is a great assist. So anyway, I, I was pointing out that Jesus told the disciples, said, don't go anywhere until you are filled with the Holy Spirit till you receive this power. Uh, when, when, and we know what happened, of course. What, what happened was, in, in Acts chapter two, I start to say this, there's no indication that the disciples and, and the, the 120 gathered there, there's no ind- indication that they knew what to expect. No indication. There's only one scripture in the Old Testament that talked about tongues. Over in Isaiah, it said, you know, with, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak uh, unto these people, yet for all that they'll not hear me. There wasn't one, one reference in the Old Testament and... Uh, the other references to being filled with the Spirit spoke about prophesying. You know, Joel chapter 2, you know, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my Spirit on your sons and your daughters. We'll prophesy on you, young men and old men and all that, you know. But there's no, there was no indication that people would speak with tongues. Jesus told them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. They were just waiting on the power. Now, I, I, in my mind, I would just try to imagine, I wonder what they were expecting. You're going to do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power. I'm thinking in my mind, I'd be thinking, something. I'm probably going to be hit with a bowl of lightning in my forehead. Fire is going to come out of my fingers. I'm going to touch water and it's going to become wine. I'm going to, you know, Find a cricket somewhere and touch it and it'll be, you know, healed and broken leg over here. I mean, I, power, you know, power. I don't know. What do you imagine? They said, you're going to, Jesus said, you need to tarry until you are clothed with power. I don't know what they were expecting. But I would imagine they were expecting something powerful. I don't know how they interpreted that, but I, I don't imagine they were, th- they were expecting something weak. Some light little touch. I I would imagine they were expecting something rich, something life-changing. And it says that when they were there assembled together, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled the whole house. We talked about this Sunday night. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and they saw these tongues being divided, and 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 you know, one you know, set on each one of them, and they began to speak with other tongues. You know what? They were looking for power, but they recognized this is it. Nobody left the upper room that day wondering, "Well, you when, when's the power going to come? Was this it? What do you think?" No, they knew this was it. This was it. I like the song we sang tonight. Just like the day on, of Pentecost. Tongues of fire, just like on the day. We've received the same experience they received on the day of Pentecost. People said, well, wait a minute, we didn't hear any wind. We didn't see any fire. But, the, but you have to also acknowledge that that's the only place that happened. 
Acts, the, the other occasions in, in uh, Acts 8, 9, 10, 19, where people were filled with the Spirit, no fire, no wind. So, so we do, you can't build a doctrine on one, on one scripture. So that's not, that's not the pattern. The pattern is the thing that happened every time, and that was the tongues. Just, I like singing that song, just like on the day of Pentecost. We've experienced the very same thing. And they recognized it as power. Power filled with the Spirit. Do you think of yourself as having power? Yeah. Power. Don't, don't think Superman. That's not, that's, not what he's not, that's not what he's talking about. Spiritual power. See, it's, it's not natural power. It's not physical power. It's spiritual power. And, and it's essential. Like I said, Jesus said, don't do anything until you get it. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans received the word of God. You know, when, when Philip went down and preached to them. And it says that the church in Jerusalem heard about it. When they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who when they came down, for, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Notice, they were, they were born again. What's the next thing you need? Filled with the Spirit. You need to receive the Spirit. Acts chapter nine, when Saul, you know, on the, on the road to Damascus, he saw the light from heaven. He heard, you know, the voice and the people who were with him saw the light. They heard the voice. And Jesus appeared to him. He fell to the ground. Jesus said, he, you know, Saul said, who, you know, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, you know. Arise and, and go into Damascus and be told you what to do. And uh, when Ananias came in, what did he do? He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to Damascus, has sent me that you would receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. So now, why, why, why do he put uh, receiving his, fight, his sight ahead of being filled with the Spirit? They're the same thing. You see, Saul was not blinded by disease. This crazy tradition in the church that says, you know, Saul had something wrong with his eyes. He had a terrible eye disease. They, they take it back to, to this is when it happened. Saul wasn't stricken with eye disease. If you go to the 22nd chapter of Acts, that, that happened in Acts chapter 9. Go to the 22nd chapter of Acts where, where Saul, Paul is telling his testimony. He said, talking about that when he saw that, he said, and I was blinded by the glory of the light. It was the glory of God. So the glory of God was on him. The hand of God was on him. And what Ananias did when he went in and put his hand on him, he said, the Lord that appeared to you has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When he ministered to him, he released him from that from that the glory of that light, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was in one of Brother Hagin's meetings years ago, and uh, uh, he had ministered, Brother Hagin had ministered this particular night, and he had, you know, a lot, of, it was a large church, there was a lot of people, you know, across the front, and this one man came up for prayer. For, I don't remember what he was coming up, what he came up for, but he's standing there. Brother Hagin's going down praying for people, you know, some people are falling, some people are not. When he touched this guy, this guy, you know, he's like, he, if, his back's to the crowd, but I was kind of sitting up close, so I could see from the side. And when Brother Hagin touched him, it's like he froze. He was just like this. 
He, he didn't move. Brother Hagin went on down the line. People were ministered to. Some, you know, fell on the floor. Others, you know, went back to a seat. Eventually, people got up. This man just stood there. Never moved. Just stood there just like he was in a trance. Like he was frozen. And, and it seems like some of the ushers might have come up and tried to, you know, so you can sit down. He just, he wouldn't move. I mean, he's like, so they just left him alone, you know. And the service dismissed. People are leaving. He's still standing there, just like this. And uh, so they went in the back room, back in the speaker's lounge with Brother Hagen, and somebody came in, I think it was Marty or one of the team members. It had been, you know, five or 10 minutes after church. People were leaving. This guy's just standing there. Somebody came in and told Brother Hagen, they said, you know that man that you touched? He said, he's still standing there. And Brother Hagin said, yeah, he said, I've seen that sometimes. He's in a trance. He, and he, here's what he did. He, Larry Hutton was there. I think Larry Hutton had given the, the benediction that night, gave the altar call and closed the service out. He said, Larry, give me your hands. Larry held out his hands. Brother Hagin put his hands in his hands and, in, and imparted the power of God to him. He said, now go out there and touch him and release him. So Brother Hutton came back outside, walked up to the man, it did like this, touched him on the forehead, and when he did, the man got turned around and left. Power of God was on him. He had to be released. Well, that's what, that's what Ananias did to Saul. He was blinded by that light, by the glory of that light. The Spirit of God was on him. He had to be released from that. But the important thing is he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? When, when Paul went to the... Uh, uh, in the 19th chapter, when Paul went to the, the dis- Ephesus and found those disciples there, what was the first thing he asked them? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So I'm making the point that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the, the most critical thing in the life of a believer as far as experience goes. It's the most important spiritual experience after the new birth. And so people need to know about it. Because people are being cheated by tradition. And you can help them with the truth. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, so we looked at um, uh, four of these seven reasons. Number one, just to refresh your memory. Number one, according to Romans chapter 8, we have a weakness in prayer. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself helps us. Well, we have a weakness, and uh, uh, so many people go their entire lives not knowing how to pray, not knowing what to pray for. And uh, uh, the second reason is the Holy Spirit has supplied help specifically for this weakness. Well, if if... If we have a weakness, we ought not to ignore the weakness. So the people you know who, who are Christians who aren't filled with the Spirit, you know, you, you can show them where their weakness is. You can just say, you know, you don't know what to pray for as you ought. Now, they, they may know some things to pray for, but you press a little bit, just, just dig a little bit. Ask, well, what about so-and-so? You know, something you're praying. Well, what do you know about it? You, I mean, you won't go more than just a sentence or two, and, and they'll have to admit they really don't know much about it. They don't know how to pray. Well, you've acquainted them with this weakness. Now, the second thing is 
the Holy Spirit supplies specific help that's tailored to that particular weakness. And of course, it's the ability to pray in, the, in other tongues. Uh, number three, when we pray in, the, in, in, in tongues, our spirit prays, but our understanding is unfruitful. Thank God. I said, thank God. There are, you know, our, our understanding is, is where it says my understanding is unfruitful. One place says it's barren, barren, not bearing any fruit. You know, our natural understanding uh, doesn't get us very far. So thank God we have, we can pray with our spirit and not with our understanding. I tell you what, praying with your understanding is natural praying and it won't produce a lot of spiritual results. Number four, when we pray in tongues, we speak mysteries, divine secrets to God. Now, let's look at this. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, 14 with me and let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians 14, I want to pick up there. 1 Corinthians 14. Hallelujah. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. As I've mentioned to you before, the word mystery in the New Testament doesn't mean the same thing it normally, what, what people normally associate, it, associate with it today. When we think of a mystery, we think of something that's hard to understand, something that's kind of like a riddle or, you know, it's, it's unknown. Uh, that's, not what, that's not what the New Testament word that's translated mystery means. It comes from the word mysterion, and it means hidden inside knowledge. Hidden, in other words, it's something that's hidden from someone but revealed to someone else. It's hidden from the masses, but it's revealed to those who are of a particular company. The word actually uh, was used uh, in the fraternities, the secret fraternities, Gnostic uh, uh, sects and so forth of the day that had, their, that had their secrets. And you could only learn their secrets by being initiated into, the, into that secret society. A lot like something like the, the Masons or something like that today. You know, they have these secrets. You can't learn the secrets, you know, unless you uh, join the, the, uh, the, the Masons and you have to go through an initiation and all kinds of, you know, uh, mysterious and weird uh, 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 rituals, you know, until you get initiated into the full whatever it is you get initiated into. And then you learn the secrets. They're secrets that, that no one knows unless you're a Mason. Well, that's the word that's used in the New Testament right here when it says, However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. He speaks these hidden secrets, these, these secrets that are not revealed to anyone except to the ones that they're intended to be revealed to. Now, Paul used the word concerning the mystery of Christ. Many times, several times, at least, you know, he, he made mention of his knowledge of the, mis, of the mystery that was revealed to him. And so the mystery uh, of, uh, of Christ involves the church and the teachings of the church, uh, our redemption, who we are in Christ, all of that is part of the mystery that was hidden from previous generations. 
See, it was hidden from them, but it was hidden for us. And so when you're born again, when the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside, as you, re- as you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will reveal these, these truths about the New Testament to you. Don't get upset when people who aren't saved don't understand the church or don't understand spiritual things. How can they? It's hidden from them. But now this word is used concerning prayer. He says, in the spirit, when someone speaks in, an, in, an, in tongues, he's not speaking to men, but to God. And in the spirit, he speaks mysteries or divine secrets. Well, uh, who's it hidden from? Who are these secrets? If it's a mystery, it's got to be hidden from somebody and revealed to somebody else. That's, that's what the word means. It's, it's, it's a truth that's hidden from one person or group or category of people and revealed to someone else. Well, when we pray in other tongues, we speak mysteries in the spirit, divine secrets. Well, who, 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 knows, the, who knows the secrets? God does. See, there are things that God knows that we don't know. That's pretty obvious. But there, it says that when we, when we speak in other unknown tongues, we're speaking to God for no man understands him. That would include the person speaking. When you're speaking with other tongues, you do not understand what you're saying. It's a, it's a secret that's not revealed to you, but, it's re, but it, God knows it. He's, he's the author of it. Well, if it's not revealed, if no one understands him, if it's a secret, then the devil doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand what you're praying in other tongues. He has no idea what you're praying about. And, and why is it important that we pray about things we don't, that we can't understand what we're praying about? Now, the Holy Spirit can give the revelation of it. He can give the interpretation of it. And sometimes he does. Sometimes when I pray in the Spirit, I'll pray, and then I'll pray the interpretation of what I've been praying. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, it doesn't need to be the case. But when, when I'm praying in other tongues, I don't understand what I'm praying about. And I've talked to people, and that's the big thing that trips them up. I don't know about this praying in other tongues, speaking in other tongues. You don't know what you're saying. Doesn't that bother you? You don't know what you're saying? No, not at all. There's a reason I don't need to know what I'm saying. You ever seen in the movies, you know, where somebody has gone out into the future? You know, and then they come back and they know something about somebody that's going to happen in the future. And, and, you know, they can't tell them because if they tell them, they'll get everything messed up. Their whole life will be, it won't turn out right. You know, know, there's movies like that. That's, That's very true. That's very true. If we knew some things about our future, because, because when we pray, uh, these secrets, we're not, we're not speaking everything that God knows. Just the, just the secrets that he wants us to pray about. Well, I tell you what, a little bit of information is dangerous. A little glimpse into your future can be very, very dangerous. It can, it can cause you to really mess up 
what God's trying to do. But at the same time, if you don't know how to pray about the future, there are some things that'll never happen for you that should happen because you didn't pray about it. You know, John Wesley, you know, made this statement famous, but it's very true. He said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing for humanity until someone asks him. That, that blows the mind of the religious person, you know. God can do anything. Well, you know, Jesus said, the Father knows you need house, clothes, food. He said, the Father knows you need all these things. Before you ask him. He said, the father knows you need it before you ask him. But you're still supposed to ask him. You notice that Jesus didn't say don't seek. He said the Gentiles seek after all these things. You know, what to wear, what to eat, and you know, and so forth. He said the Gentiles seek after these things. You notice Jesus didn't say not to seek after those things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that means that something else is after first. I mean, if there's a first, there has to be a second and a third. At least a second. I mean, if there's nothing, if there's nothing, if we weren't supposed to seek anything else, he could just said, seek the kingdom of God. But he didn't. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. But notice, they're added to you as you ask him. That's in the, that's in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. In, in another place in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he said, how many of you, being a father, being evil, would give, uh, being an evil man, uh, would, would give something uh, unfitting or dangerous if your son asked for a bread? Would you give him a stone? So forth. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit or give good things? Luke says the Holy Spirit. Matthew says good things. How much more will your father give good things to those he has singled out, whether they ask or not? Is that what he said? That's not what he said. I tricked you. He didn't say... How much more so your Father in heaven give good things to everybody without their asking? That's not what he said. He said, how much more will your Father give good things to those who ask him? James said, you have not because you ask not. Well, what about your future? What if there's something in your future that you really need to accomplish? It's really important. Think, think about something that's been momentous in your life, some uh, event that has been, I'm just talking about in the natural. Maybe you're, you're meeting your spouse, maybe uh, you know, something associated with a, with a job or a career or something that, some good fortune that's come to you that, I mean, it was life-changing. Well, how many of you can understand that there are things out there ahead for you yet. There are some things out there yet. There are some opportunities ahead of you yet. I don't care how old you are, Sister Audrey. There are some things out there ahead of you yet that God wants you to have 
But James said, you have not because you ask not. There are a lot of things that, ha- that should have happened to many of us and they never happened. They should have happened and they could have happened, but they didn't happen because we didn't ask for them. Well, how, well, how can we ask? We don't know. Exactly. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance about your future. Things that you don't need to know about right now. There might, there might be an, an investment opportunity ahead for you. If you don't pray it out, you're likely to walk right. Let's say this is the opportunity in your own life's path, pathway. Walk right by it. Never even know about it. But if you're praying in the Holy Ghost and you're praying out secrets and it's something that God has for you, you're praying that out. When you get to that part in your life, that place or that juncture in life, you've prayed that thing out. You've prayed in the Holy Ghost. You've called it by name. You've identified it. You've hit it square between the eyes, identified it, prayed out all sides of it, everything involved, all the people involved and all the circumstances and this would happen and that. You've prayed all that out. When you get to it, it just can unfold for you. I wonder how many things we've missed because we didn't know. We didn't pray. And we can't say, well, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't pray. Yes, we could have. Yes, we could have by praying more in other tongues. We could have prayed some things out that we missed. Well, praise the Lord. Now, point number five, and I've I've covered it just kind of in a roundabout way. God understands this important kind of praying. Go go to Romans chapter eight and let's get the scripture for it. Romans eight, verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now notice verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts, that would be the Lord, knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now you can't take verse 28 out of its setting and put that on your refrigerator. You can't take verse 28 and make it a refrigerator magnet, you know, and stick it on your refrigerator and just say carte blanche, you know, just uh, as, as a statement that all things work together for good to those who love God. That's what people do. This is one of those, this is a very popular refrigerator scripture. I guarantee you most, most Christian bookstores, you can buy this one and plop it on your refrigerator. But taken out of its context, it says one thing. Inside its context, it says something else. All things do work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to, notice, his purpose. It's not our purpose, it's his purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, who are taking advantage of the help of the Holy Spirit who gives utterance in prayer. That's how all things work for good. That's how the illustration I use in, in, in Brother, uh, uh, what's your name here? Uh, Calvin, you know, he represents something good that should happen, could happen. All things work together 
by praying in the Spirit, all things work together for God's plan to come to pass when you get to that place in your life. But if you haven't done your part, then all those things working together aren't in place. They're not in place because you didn't put them in place. You didn't pray them out. If you don't pray them out, they're not in place. They're not working together for good. Amen. I know a lot. You say, well, wait a minute. That's, this verse says all things work together. Again, that's taken out of his context. You put it in his context and you can see that all things, just generally speaking, all things are not working. I mean, I know a lot of Christians that all things aren't working out for their benefit. They go from one crisis to another crisis. Have all kinds of, of uh, uh, mishaps and, 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 and things that ought not to be going on in their lives and they just stumble from one thing to another. Well, that's, you know, a lot of times they fail to pray it out. Well, amen. Now here's the point number six, I think. It's number six. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind, what the mind of the spirit. God understands, no, that's number five. God understands this important kind of praying. If God understands it, we ought to be doing it. The devil does, and that's a good thing. The devil does not understand it. And, and, and that's another reason why we pray in other tongues because there are some things that, that if we prayed out in English, if we knew everything and we, and we talked about it, the devil then would, would know ahead of time what God's planning, and he could work even more to try to, to, to try to intervene and stop it. Well, he doesn't know what you're praying about. Praise the Lord. Number six, we pray in accordance with God's perfect will. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There's no way to pray God's perfect will unless you pray directly from the Scriptures and, and how many of you know the scriptures don't cover every detail in life? You have to apply it somehow. And unless you play, pray directly out of the scripture, there's no way to pray God's perfect will by using your natural mind because your natural mind can't grasp the will of God, the perfect will of God. All the details associated with it. But praying in other, uh, other tongues, it says that the spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hallelujah. And, and then number seven is we edify ourselves. First Corinthians 14, four. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Hallelujah. You need to realize that edification is not a feeling. To be edified isn't to feel good. The word edify means to, to, to charge Somebody likened it, a Greek scholar said the closest thing that he could think of in English would be to charge, like you put a charge on a battery. You know, batteries run down, put a couple of cables on it, and you charge it, and that battery gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It takes more and more power, and it just gets charged up. Then it gets charged up enough. If you touch it just right, man, it'll, sparks will fly. Fire will come out, isn't that right? Well, he who, he who prays in an unknown tongue Builds himself up spiritually. Builds himself up. That's what Jude said. He said, building yourselves up on, he didn't say building your faith up. He said, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keeps you charged. 
Amen. It keeps you charged up. You find a Christian that's, you know, that's run down spiritually. Well, that manifests in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? Worried. Mr. Harris talked about being worried. If you're worried, you're not charged up. You know what worry is? Worry is meditating on, the, on, the, on what the devil said. That's what worrying is. That's meditating on what the devil's saying. Amen. Everything the devil says is a lie. He is a liar. Even if he quotes scripture, he's quoting it in a deceptive way. It's still a lie because he's, he's misrepresenting it. Isn't that right? Well, don't think about what the devil's saying. Well, sometimes it's difficult not to think. You maybe get some news that's not real good. And the enemy says, now, see, 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 this has happened. This is what's unfolding. This is your future. Starts giving up. I mean, the devil will paint you a, a whole life. And, and it just right to the grave, you know, exactly what's going to happen to you. Well, everything he says is a lie. So you start off with that. But still, how do you combat those thoughts? Well, you fill your mind with the word of God and your mouth with the word of God, but don't leave off praying in other tongues. Because after you fill your heart, your mind and your, and your, and your heart with the word of God and you speak the word of God from faith, you still need to build yourself up. The word builds you up, but so does praying in the spirit. Well, don't neglect either one of them. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You know, uh, I'll, I'll close with this. this that, that was my last point. But I want to just share something with you. That's, I just thought this was interesting today. It, does it do any good to follow your Bible reading plan? Now, Brother Mark talked about the fact, you know, that he reads his Bible every day. But, uh, but then, there he is back there. But then following this reading plan, trying to keep up with it. I know we're, we're laboring in Leviticus right now, okay? I know that. But at the same time, God can speak to you when you're just reading, just following the plan. Just for the purpose of reading through the Bible completely, Old Testament once, New Testament twice in a year, just, to, just for the purpose of hiding God's word in your heart. You're not, pro, you're not reading for any on particular subject, you're just reading through. Is there any benefit to that? Yeah. I, I, have you ever noticed this? Maybe you've noticed this before. In the 15th chapter, we read this today, right? Did we read Acts 15 today? Acts 15. You know, in the 14th chapter, uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas had, had gone on their first missionary journey. And in the, in the uh, 26th verse, from there they sailed to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria, uh, where they had been commended to the grace of God. This is where they left in, in Acts 13, where they were in the church at Antioch and, you know, separate me, Barnabas, and so on and so forth. So they returned there to that Antioch. And they reported all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, in, at Antioch, certain men came from Judea and taught the brethren, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, the church in Antioch was primarily made up of Gentiles. So these, these uh, teachers came from Judea, from, the, from Jerusalem, from the mother church, 
and saying, you know, you've got to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Notice, they're not backing off at all. They're talking about the Gentiles being saved. And when, verse four, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all things that God had done with them. Verse five, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, there were Christians, there were people who, had, who were Jews and they were of the Pharisee sect of Jews and they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were confused. And it says that uh, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them, that is the Gentiles, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and, the, and believe. You remember that, what happened in Peter, you know, and the sheep let down from heaven and, you know, I've never eaten anything, rise Peter, kill and eat. Uh, that's what he's talking about. He said, you know that God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now here's the thing that I saw today, I've never noticed it before. So it pays just to read through the Bible. So God who knows the hearts acknowledge them, that's the Gentiles. He's, he's, the them is the Gentiles. Now, so God who knows the hearts acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And they all, the multitude kept silence and Barnabas and Saul told more about what had happened. But here's the thing. It's talking about the Gentiles. I'd never noticed this before. It just blessed me today. Maybe it'll bless you. Speaking, they're, they're, they're arguing that these Gentiles aren't saved. These, these uh, Pharisee believers are arguing that the Gentiles aren't saved because they hadn't uh, submitted to the, to the law of Moses. They weren't following the law of Moses. Peter said, God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. I, I, just as I walked in here tonight, service started, I, I looked up acknowledged. It's a verb, it means to declare to be true or admit the existence or reality or truth of. To declare to be true or to admit the, the existence or reality or truth of. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, it says that God acknowledged, in the, the margin of my Bible, and I never noticed the margin of my Bible, it says acknowledge, it says witnessed to. God witnessed to these Gentiles, witnessed of them. He acknowledged them, that they were legitimate. How did he do that? By giving them the Holy Ghost, just like he did the, the, uh, the 120 on the day of Pentecost. 
If he, he gave it to them the same way, if he gave them the Holy Spirit just like he had them, it had to have included tongues. And have you ever thought about the fact that when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, that was God's acknowledgement of you? That was God's testimony of you? That was God's witness that you're legit. Now, I'm not saying that you're not legit if you don't speak with tongues. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it is obviously an acknowledgement of God that, yeah, you can trust him. He's one of us. How do we know? Because he speaks with other tongues. God gave him the Holy Ghost. He, he might not look saved, but he's, he, see, sometimes you don't know about people. But God's testimony of that person is that, Think what you want to. I gave him the Holy Ghost. So you got to accept him as a brother, praise God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. That just blessed me today. Glory to God. Amen. We'll see you Sunday. Praise God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.